Well, hello there. Welcome to the professional wellness session with Constance. I am your host, Constance Wallace, a professional wellness coach. I cannot wait to dive in and explore different ways we can make sure we are practicing professional wellness in our lives. As a reminder, the information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Go ahead and grab your favorite beverage and get comfy so that we can begin exploring professional wellness. Let's get started. Well, hello, Commissioner hello. Jordan Johnson. Hello, Constance. <laughs> How are you today? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Doing Good. fine. Fine. Good. Thank you so much for agreeing to engage in this very important conversation about professional wellness. And I just want to let viewers know that you are a county commissioner in Augusta, Georgia, and you were the youngest person elected to fill that position, to sit in that seat. Um, you were elected when you were 25 years old and assumed the position at 26. Yeah, yeah. 2020? 20, yeah, that was 2020. It's four years ago, going on four years ago. Wow. It's amazing how fast time moves on, <laughs> but it's 2020. Yes. Yes. Well, tell tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like for you. Oh my gosh, um, it's it's sort of a blur because again, it was going on four years ago, and mm -hmm. at twenty five, and you know now moving into my thirties, it's like where did the time go? But the experience was amazing. I don't think that I could have asked for a better experience when it came down to running for office. You know, we we always talk about making change in the community and being the change that we want to see, and I just felt like it was my time to step up and start practicing what I preached. Uh, I don't know what persuaded me to do it. People always say, you know, why did you run around for office? Why did you decide to be, you know, on the Augusta Commission? And it was just simply that, you know, it wasn't that I woke up one day and had this big epiphany, you know, that oh, I think it's time to do this. No, I saw the conditions of the community that I grew up in and I realized that they were the same. The conditions had not changed in 20 years plus from when I was a child and my mom was a child. And I wanted to do something about that. And I know that elected officials had tried before, mm -hmm. uh, but I just wanted to take a swing at it. And so I decided to run and the experience was amazing. Uh, however, <laughs> it was during the pandemic. And so right around February and March of 2020, we had to shut everything down and transition our campaign to virtual. And um, it, it made it hard to campaign because no one was thinking about the next elected official. We were all thinking about how to make sure to be there for each other during, during that pandemic, how to make sure that families were taken care of, how to make sure that our families were taken care of on a personal note. Um, but I think that having that, um, that opportunity just to hear people's concerns, talk about, speak to their fears, and really just try to reassure folks that better days were ahead is what helped me um, get through that, that trail. I started in maybe July of 2019 and the election was August of 2020. So it was a whole year and I felt every second of it, but it was a great experience. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to, to assume the position. Yeah, that's a unique experience to have because no one living had, well, I don't think so. At least I didn't hear about it, but no one living had, uh, 
or was discussing what it was like to campaign during a pandemic. It was rough. <laughs> it was probably the hardest thing I've done to date because again, as a candidate uh, in January of 2020, you know, New Year's Eve, we're, we're happy about the new year. We're speaking all these positive affirmations into the year. And then March, I'm on the way back from Texas from burying my granddad and Texas is shutting down. Um, New York had a shutdown. California was shutting down. And I was convinced that we weren't going to change anything campaign wise. But just like that, Constance, it went from my focus went from how to get elected to how to live, how to survive, how to how to make it on the other side of this thing. I thought about myself, my grandparents, um, my mom, and not only just my family, but people that that were affected as well. That were that were potentially impacted, and I lost a lot of people, lost friends, lost neighbors. Yeah. But in a moment, the campaign didn't even matter. It was mm -hmm. the only thing that mattered to us at that time was making sure that we had all the information that we needed to help make sure that we we made it on the other side. And so we we made a hard pivot. We passed out a thousand masks in the community, and everything was virtual. We made sure that folks had access to resources that they need. And then on the other side of the pandemic, when the vaccination became uh, available to everyone we vaccinated about maybe a thousand to 2000 people in the district. So it was, it was a difficult process, but I think at the end of the day, um, the message got across that people made a decision and we went to work day one, but it was a, it was an interesting process for sure. Wow. Well, yeah. what has it been like for you to be the youngest elected <laughs> County commissioner in Augusta? Well, I think I, no other place, right. Is, is, is that possible? than in our country, I will say, uh, regardless of what we think about our country or, or the current state of the country, we have to be honest that in no other country can someone from public housing, Dalwood Terrace, uh, you know, having a mom who's, you know, living in a family, a divorced family, and just just going through all these different types of things, had the opportunity to run for the county commission in Augusta Ridgewood County at 25 years old. I think that experience was something that I that I would never uh, take for granted. But the but what it has been like for me, uh, it has been a journey for sure. Um, ageism has been something that I have constantly had to deal with. Um, always having to feel as though you're fighting for your spot at the table, even though you raised thirty thousand dollars. That was the most expensive political campaign for the Augusta Commission in history, wow. and we topped that out maybe thirty grand in, in campaign. Uh, uh, raising campaign dollars, like even though we fought hard and I had been working for years, you know, it still felt as though this notion that young people just didn't really know what they were doing or that there wasn't a real carved out space for young people in the political process. It had always, always hung over. It's, <laughs> excuse me. And so my whole mentality going in was um, to not focus on that, not, not to, to focus on that, but to focus on the work that needed to be done. Because while I was the youngest, and I'm still the youngest, I don't intend to be the youngest. I want to make sure that someone else comes behind, maybe a 21-year-old, maybe an 18-year-old. Let's make sure that folks have a path to, to chart. So I do feel like in a regard, um, I have a responsibility in making sure that that door remains open. But it has been such a such an interesting journey. I don't I don't think about much else other than the commission. And that's that old political lie, right? It's the first thing I think about when I wake up, the last thing I think about <laughs> at night. But it's true. <laughs> I get it now. Um, I get it now. It's all I think about. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I've enjoyed these last three and a half years 
because I've had the opportunity to talk to people and really get to know folks on a personal basis, not just as their commissioner, mm-hmm. but just somebody who really wants to know what the community is dealing with so that we can take the government and use it in a way to help people get from one way of life to another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably been the best uh, part of the whole job. The politics is going to always be the politics. Mm-hmm. But when you're able to sit and talk to someone and, and hear their frustrations, hear their stories, and then be able to help them, that's an amazing feeling. And then watch them be able to grow into, into a new phase in their own personal lives. Mm-hmm. It means that the process works. And that's that's what's keeping me around. That's great. That's, that's <laughs> great to hear you say that and talking yeah. about those things, ageism. And even though you were so successful, with the amount of money you were able to raise, still the um, the doubt regarding yeah. age and the weight. I don't know. Well, you didn't say weight, but the focus of this. It's definitely a weight. The weight <laughs> that comes along with it. And um, my father, uh, who's passed away, he was the first and sadly the only black county commissioner to this date in my home town, my home county, Effingham County, and also the longest serving county commissioner. And it wasn't when you talk about like how the impact that um, seeing individuals change and listening to their stories and what that impact is on you um, as a commissioner, I think about when we were packing my father's things and finding letters from individuals um, who wrote him telling him how thankful they were of what he did in their lives as a county commissioner, being able to help them um, in different situations. And so hearing you talk about that, witnessing that transformation for people, it's real. It's not just political talk, it is a reality. Yes, it is. And I have a binder um, that's delivered to me every Friday with the commission agenda, all of our mail and everything. And I have a, a box in my room. It's about maybe that big. Mm-hmm. And that's where I keep all my letters. I have letters from people requesting services, letters from folks uh, coming out of the DUI and uh, accountability court program. Mm-hmm. So many people reach out because mm-hmm. they understand that in order to get something done, you have to go to your representative. Yeah. But you know, their voice is directly connected to what we do or don't do. And I think that's something that elected officials have to tap into more is that we're representing 25,000 people in this, in this district. And uh, my job is to allow my constituents to speak through me. I listen to them and take their concerns back to the back to Green Street. But that box is real. Those letters are real. And you can even sometimes feel the frustration and feel the pain, you can feel the, the struggle in those, in those letters, mostly from people who are living in poverty, mostly from people who have gone through something and they need help. I've, get, I've gotten letters from, from folks in prison telling me their stories about why they're in jail, you know, begging to get out and these types of things. I've actually taken the opportunity to go meet with with uh, court officials to see how to help folks that send me letters like that. Mm -hmm. But I only mentioned that and only went deeper into it was because that's what I mean when I say that it's the first thing that I think about when I wake up and the last thing that I think about when I lay down, because there's always more work to be done. Um, I can go on, Constance, about families who've lost loved ones, who's lost 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 8-year-olds, and how I've sat with them and just allowed my shoulder to be a Kleenex. It's a tough role. It is a tough role. 
But at the end of the day, when you look at it from a larger perspective, you realize that if you offer yourself to that service and you allow people to, you, you, you allow that trust to be built, man, what we can do is so exponential. The mm -hmm. change that we can make in our communities is so exponential. But you have to offer yourself to that and you have to be sincere in what you're doing. And uh, sometimes if that's your goal, and if that's your passion, it will consume you. And I'm a living witness. It has consumed every portion of my life. But I have found ways to to uh, to center myself around around a few things to keep to keep that mental health and that that holistic uh, wellness in, in check because that's super important. And that is that that is very important that you're yeah. talking about how to maintain some balance. I yeah. remember. Um, uh, uh, there was something going on at school. It may have been like a lunch day where you, your parents come. And I remember mm -hmm. my dad wasn't able to come. And one of my classmates told me, he's like, you know, your dad is out helping the community. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so it, does, <laughs> it does, um, it, it can bleed into your personal life. Uh, because you are focused on the needs of the community. So what have you done uh, to try to have that balance, make sure that you're well? Um, and what are some, some indicators that you've uh, noticed to let you know that you don't have that balance and you're not um, practicing overall wellness? Oh, wow. How much time do you have? <laughs> 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 well, let me let me go back if you don't mind. There's a my family on the Johnson side, the men have a history of mental illness. Okay. And it goes all the way back. I mean, how can we not have a, a a history of mental illness, you know, given what we went through with slavery, given what we went through with Jim Crow, given what we went through uh, you know, the post Jim Crow era, there that's going to be there, right? But my great-grandfather was an amazing man. I never met him. He died three years before I was born. But the stories that I've heard, and uh, not only just from my family, but even when we go back home to Anniston, Alabama, I hear stories about how my grandfather served the community, how he uh, was always standing in the gap for folks, going to court with people, talking to city officials to make sure that folks had a second chance, regardless of what they did. That was who he was. He was a house of prayer preacher. Uh, he was a father to many, many kids, many, many kids. It's, he's Abraham, many kids. <laughs> I don't know how many kids he had, but he had a lot of kids. <laughs> um, but he took care of his kids. He was a great father, but he had issues. He, was, he had issues mentally that, um, that showed up from time to time. Mm -hmm. And you saw those issues in his children. You saw those issues in some of his sons. And my family never really, they never talked about it. It was one of those things to where you go in the room and you just pray, lay down and take a nap, wake up and keep going. That's fine for a time, but you have to address these issues. And I never really saw the need for, uh, for counseling or, or saw the need to seek mental health help until I was probably about maybe 23 or 24 and life just started lifing. You know what I mean? It's just thing got the thing. Uh, we had a house fire. We, uh, you know, I got into a terrible car accident that caused terrible anxiety. I struggle with anxiety. Uh, the worst thing you can do to me is text me and say, we need to talk ASAP. I'm going to flip. Like, anxiety okay. is terrible. But what I've done since realizing that, hey, this isn't something that I can just go pray about. This isn't something that I can just go work off or go run off. This is something that I need to go sit and talk to someone about because I'm dealing with issues that 
I didn't ask for. It's something that that just kind of in my mind, and I'm not a I'm not a professional clinician, so you know I'm not a healthcare provider. So this is just basically opinion. But I thought this was something that I inherited, mm-hmm. and so the first thing I did was I went and sought help. I went and got a, a therapist, and she was amazing. Uh, I have cried on her Zoom screen many times. I tried not to go into her, into her office because I just didn't want to do all of that. But I was doing Zoom every Friday with her. Um, and she helped me with so many issues that I was dealing with. She helped me see the flaw that I had in myself, you know, because every time something happens, we have a tendency to blame other people, mm-hmm. uh, make folks the victim in our stories. But no, we have to take responsibility. And she helped me do that as well. Um, and this is, again, 23, 24, 25 years old, such a critical point in my matriculation. Um, and so outside of just going to counseling and, and seeking, seeking a, a, a good counselor, to just go see every Friday. I've started eating healthier. Um, it is not uh, something that, that has been easy or fun, mm-hmm. but I've started eating healthier. I've gotten myself a nice trainer. He's working me like a, like, like we're training for a competition or something. Uh, <laughs> and I, I do a lot of running, a lot of running, I do a lot of walking and a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. And of course you can't, um, you can't discount the role that spirituality takes in this as well getting into good uh, into a good study based off whatever your faith is my my Christian faith allows me to be able to to you know to go to the word whenever I feel like I'm feeling overwhelmed and then lastly is journaling I do a lot of journaling a lot of journaling if I start finding myself veering off into into you know those intrusive thoughts those moments to where uh, to where I, I, I feel like I need a little help I'll just start journaling I'll journal what I feel and um keep moving from there, but it has been a process and I've gotten so comfortable over the years talking about it candidly because it's something that we all deal with, especially as black men, we deal with mental health and sometimes we don't really understand how to go about talking about it. But I found peace in saying, yes, I am not different. I need help just like everyone else. And some of those efforts that I've made in my personal life, I've tried to make change in the government as well. So it's been a journey, but it's been a good journey. You hit on so many important things. Uh, Don't let me ramble, please. I feel like I'm rambling too. No, you're not. You're not. You hit on so many important things, and one of them being um, the trauma of racism. And as you said, just with as a people, when with the trauma of uh, slavery um, and how that truly lives in uh, the DNA and how that does come down the line and how it shows up in different ways and you being able to recognize that and not be afraid to go seek help because for so many people it can be excused or minimized or projecting it onto someone else but the work that you've done and how um that also it's the the work regarding your well-being mentally and emotionally, but also physically with having right. a trainer, with journaling. That, yeah. That's great. That's great. And especially as a Black man, talking about it, sharing about it, that will be so impactful for so many people. I have this principle that I try to live my life on. And it's, uh, it's Lord, I want to be ready. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a song that a group called Blessed out of South Carolina sang. And I was probably 15 or 16 when they first started singing the song and I fell in love with the song. 
the song's about being ready when your time comes and you go into your heavenly home. But I take that principle and I apply it to every day because who knows what life is going to bring, right? I want to be ready when it's my time to be a father. I want to be a good father. I want to be ready when it's my time to lead. I want to be a good leader. I, I want to be ready when it's time for me to just get out of the bed and walk to the, to the restroom and brush my teeth and get ready for the day. I can't be ready if my mind is clouded with the worries of the day or intrusive thoughts. One thing my, my, my therapist taught me to ask myself was, who told you that? When I started having little thoughts, who told you that? Where's the confirmation, right? So I can't get up and move along if I'm not healthy physically. And so this whole notion of, Lord, I just want to be ready is something that, uh, that I try to live my life on. Like, how can I make sure that I'm the best version of myself and be available to answer the call whenever that call, it, it, it taps my shoulder? Whether that's fatherhood, something professional, what, whatever the case, Lord, I want to be ready. And I think that's been something that has helped me tremendously because, uh, you know, if you're not focused on something, uh, what are you working towards? I think for my, my, the biggest thing for me is being well mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually and let God take care of the rest of the things because I can't, I, I can't touch it. But this whole idea that, you know, the trauma of slavery, the trauma of Jim Crow has just walked away. It's not, it has not, especially being in a leadership role in a Southern city. A, yes. city banned, a city a city that banned Ray Charles from playing here because he didn't want to play in a segregated city. They banned Ray Charles. They don't ban Ray Charles. <laughs> exactly. This city has such a, a cloud. And we can go over, over that in another day. Um, but those types of stigmas still still remain. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I just want to make sure that I'm ready whenever it's time for me to answer whatever call that God has for me. And that's that's the basis of that. That's important. Being proactive. I've had clients come to get receive uh, counseling and address issues, as you said, before becoming a father, before becoming right. a mother, because they want to make sure they're in the best mental state. Yes. And that they're addressing some just various, as you said, what your your therapist asked you. Who told you that? Who told you that? <laughs> so that you don't pass that down to children, to a partner, or to those that you're serving. How do you feel that um, you practicing overall wellness helps you as a county commissioner? And as the you're the chair of the Democratic Party yes. um, in Richmond County. How do you feel that um, being well helps you in those positions? Well, it helps in a lot of ways. I think the number one way is, um, just helping me deal with people better. You know, there's not a day that goes by where I don't get a negative phone call. I get negative calls and uh, really rude emails, um, mean tweets, uh, negative Facebook posts. <laughs> you know, there's more negativity in this road that I encounter than positivity. And that's that's the nature of the beast. That's, that's not something that that is a woe is me because I'm certainly not an anomaly. We all deal with, with that that issue um and that's that's just it comes along with public opinion but can you imagine going through a uh, going through a mental health crisis at any moment and then a constituent calls and they touch that button they, they just they touch that nerve and you go off on them right that's not good that's not good at all and so one thing that i've worked on is making sure that uh the first thing i do in the morning is work on something that helps me get to a good place, a good mental space. Uh, 
Um, and, and let me back up and just explain this. When we talk about these kind of things, we're not talking about sitting in a corner and shaking back and forth. That's a, that's a terrible statement. We're talking, you know, simple things like just not feeling like doing anything in the morning, just not want to get out of the bed, just not feeling it. That's the same thing, right? That's, that's depression that can be caused by anxiety. That can be caused by anything. But I think that making sure that I've been focusing on my mental health, uh, my mental wellness, it has helped in a lot of regards. Mostly, like I said, just making sure that I'm able to answer the call and talk to people and be able to interact with them because the, the, the worst thing that you can do is not give your full self when you're doing this job. And you can't give your full self if you're not in a place to give your full self. And there'll be days when I slip. There'll be days when I, you know, don't answer the phone. Or there may even be days when I have not returned calls the way that I could. But inherently, it's because that was just, it was just a rough day. It was just a rough day. But yeah. being well mentally uh, has really helped me stay consistent in, in answering the needs of, of, of my constituents because there are great needs. There are great needs, and the needs are increasing. And I just want to make sure that I'm there to be able to help out. But it has helped out tremendously in that regard. Because there are some days when my phone rings and uh, somebody was on the other line and they're going off. And I'm just praying, Lord, <laughs> <laughs> let this call in quickly. <laughs> yes. Give me words to say because, uh, you know, but anyhow, it, is, it helps me be able to interact with people on a positive note. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad that you pointed that out because when you see someone in public office, a lot of times individuals forget that they are human. They have lives. They are dealing with so many things and it's okay. I expect you to always be like this, to always, to be able to take everything. I I should be able to call and use certain language and do X, Y, and Z, and you should just take it. I have received, I can, I, I thought about starting a series on my TikTok, uh, angry constituent calls, but I was, I was advised against doing that. <laughs> but I had a young lady call me one day and it, it bothered me so badly. Um, there's a gas station over in the Olive Road area behind Josie High School. Okay. And this gas station is notorious for soliciting, uh, for solicitation, uh, drug, uh, you know, peddling those types of things, lots of drug activity going on. Um, there was a couple of shootouts there and I've been working extremely hard to make sure that this area is cleaned up. And my answer is never, it, it will never be to just lock people up and throw away the key. I think that's the very last resort. Um, and I have been working on it for a while, so much so to where I've actually been to the store. I've been in to talk to the owners, been speaking to the guys standing outside of the store. And someone called me one day and she was very, very rude. Uh, called me everything except the child of God. And when I mean you, 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 I voted for you and now you're not doing what you said you're going to do. And she called me everything out of my name. But it was in that moment when I realized, you know what? She's frustrated. She's frustrated. She's not angry with me. She doesn't hate me. She's not mad at me. She's frustrated because of the quality of her community. She's frustrated because every day she goes home, she has to pass this. I don't think that if I had not sat down with my, with my counselor all over these years, right, that I wouldn't be able to pause and have the capacity to see that frustration and to understand that's not towards you. That's not towards anything you've done. Don't take offense to that. She's frustrated. Meet her where she is and just try to help console her fears or her concerns. 
I think that is the power of, of learning yourself, getting out of yourself and, and really learning how to just navigate the day by day. It, it has, like I said, it's not easy. It has been a journey. I am human. When I get tagged on Facebook and negative posts, I want to go back and forth. I want to get Twitter fingers, but I, I tend <laughs> not to because, you know, people are frustrated and who else to vent your frustration to than the person that you voted to represent you. I can take it. But if I'm not well mentally, if I'm having a bad day, if I'm not focused, if I'm all over the place and depressed and dealing with anxiety, who knows how I will respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's not just me. This is something that everyone deals with. But I'm glad that that I was able to to enroll in a good program uh, because you need it. You definitely need it. A former mayor said the first thing he did after he got off, out of office was go get therapy. <laughs> so I'm oh, trying to beat him to the punch and do it while I'm there. So when I get out of office, I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm glad that you you just uh, you you recognize the importance of all of these different aspects of wellness because the the. The reason why I even um, wanted to start these conversations was uh, working on a campaign and knowing um, the experience of feeling overwhelmed, feeling drained, and thinking about what it felt like for the candidate and what it's like when you're actually elected and all of the demands and being able to manage all of those things while continuing to do something that you're very passionate about. And so you are ahead of the mark. I appreciate you. I, I don't think I don't think that anything that I'm doing is special in this regard. I just think that uh, again, I just want to be available. This job is extremely overwhelming. It can be uh, hard to manage, hard to keep up with, especially being at the commissioners. Uh, we don't have staff. You would think that a city the size of Augusta, with the type of government that we have, the commission, uh, nothing starts or stops without the commission. You would think we would have at least one staff member to help take up phone calls, but we don't. So between my personal email, my city email, my personal phone, my city phone, and then our clerk's office, we have one clerk that 10 of us share, calls are constantly coming in and trying to keep up with those things can absolutely um, make you go wild. And then if you miss the mark, if you don't keep up with something, or if you don't call someone back, or you miss, you miss something important, I know I internalize that. I take that very personal. I hold myself to a great standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be overwhelming. It can be really overwhelming. But I think one of the things that has really helped me is being, being like I said, being with the, with the, with the clinician mm-hmm. and learning different strategies to just be able to, you know, give yourself slack. Mm-hmm. You're one person. You don't have a cape. You don't have wings. You're one person. Give yourself a little bit of leeway to, uh, to, just, to just catch yourself up. And I think, you know, that has been helpful because I'm my, I'm my biggest critic and I know that I can be, I can be tough on myself. So, mm-hmm. so one thing I want to go back and sure. that I should have asked in the beginning, explain the role of a county commission. What are the duties and responsibilities so that people have a realistic expectation um, of what they should be calling and concerned about? So, Thank you for asking that question because it's my goal to, to reroute folks, to reroute how people view the Augusta Commission. Because for years, they just see the Augusta Commission as a group of people who argue and can't get along. That is so far from the reality of what the commission does. We are the legislative body of the legislative branch of this government. We are the legislative branch of the local government. 
Our job is to create ordinances, to create policies, to oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the city through the city administrator. Uh, we essentially serve as a, as a legislative and the executive branch of our government in a, in a regard. And so if there's an issue going on um, around poverty, right, it's our job to craft programs and fund those programs. If there's an issue with infrastructure, it's our job to uh, direct department leaders to fix infrastructure issues, and then we fund those issues. So whatever issue that you have in the city of Augusta, whether that's you know the lack of entertainment, the lack of infrastructure improvements, uh, the lack of resources to mental health uh, services or homeless homeless services, those types of things, the commissioners has a responsibility to solve those issues. The majority of the calls that we receive are mostly about right away maintenance, vacant lot maintenance blighted homes, those types of things. People want the quality of life for their communities to improve. And regardless of how many beautiful restaurants we have and you know, uh, nice amenities, there's a segment in this community that will never have access to Broad Street, will never have access to a nice sit-down restaurant, will never have an opportunity to go to Edgar's Grill or uh, the Pinnacle Club. Places that we go and we think is normal, they'll never have access to that. But what they do have access to is, you know, our rows of blighted houses in their communities, block after block after block filled with potholes, block after block filled with vacant lots. And that's the only, the only thing that they have the ability to see is what's in their surrounding. And so my prayer for this city, and I, I really try my best to do this through my service, is yes, let's take care of the quality of life in neighborhoods to where people kind of feel locked, locked in. But let's also break those barriers Let's break that glass ceiling and expose people to the possibilities that this city has to offer. I've, I have a hard time believing that we can't solve a 24% poverty rate in this city, that we can't expand access to capital for black businesses in this city, that we can't build quality communities without gentrifying those communities. I don't feel like, I don't buy into the narrative that those things can't happen. My job as a commissioner is to make sure that those things happen. That's my job. And I get passionate about it because again, it's all I've allowed myself to think about. And uh, we've, we've gotten a lot done over the last three and a half, four years, and we're just getting started. And I say we because the commission, we're a team. It's not me, it's not one or another. We are a team, we're getting a lot done, whether it's in this district or other districts. So the role is just to take care of the city to do the best that we possibly can for as many people that we can while we can. Okay. So with that, as you were saying, what you were ending with, with this is what you think about all the time. All the time. What do you <laughs> do for relaxation? I know you journal. I know you've, yep. gone, you've gone to therapy. But what does Jordan do for fun? Music. I love music. I love music. So, um, I listen to music all day, every day. So when I'm working, when I'm at the gym, in the car, when I'm sitting in the house, I can have my TV on and music is still gonna be in the background. I love music. I don't know where that love for music came from, but I know I love it. Who, who doesn't love music, right? But I love it, all genres. Um, I was in Texas a few weeks ago and my cousins had me doing a little two-step to some country. So I gotta <laughs> learn that, that little dance. I gotta figure out what song it was. So I was keeping up, but I love music. Music has always been my go-to. Even when I was dealing with depression after the loss of my stepdad, dealing with depression, 
after the loss of my of 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 what was going to be my first child. Um, so many things that was that was going on at the time. Music was my was my it was my space. It was my it was my getaway. I would get out on my balcony and I, I brought a zero gravity chair. And I lay I would lay the back on my balcony. Chair. That zero gravity chair is from heaven. I'm telling you. You just lay back and it it just it takes you with it. <laughs> mm. And I love it. It was $50 and I said, you know what? I'm going to get this chair. And I sat it on my balcony and I would take my, my big speaker outside and just listen to music. Tim's, uh, I love Tim's. I love Mary J. Blige. I love Afrobeat and Neo Soul. Um, any old school R&B, the OJs, the Whispers, uh, uh, New, Jack, New Jack Swing with Bobby Brown and Bill Bibbicole. <laughs> Even new stuff. Like I like, I love like Future's my favorite rapper, like for right now. Don't judge me, but he is. Uh he got some it's, Future need to be on someone's couch, right? But uh I like Future. I love Drake. I like um uh just anybody that you can name, I'm gonna listen to it because music has been my outlook. It's been the way that I that I, that I relax. And I was like, oh, how did I miss Michael Jackson? Like, how did I miss Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. I have a thriller album sitting right on my piano here. How did I miss Michael Jackson? Okay. <laughs> but uh, outside of music wrestling i'm a big wrestling fan oh yes oh so, yes. you know I'm, i'll watch wrestling all day if you let me you know i talk your head off yes. <laughs> yes. i experienced that on yes, you have. <laughs> atlanta um yeah. capital and oh. yes i'm not gonna go into detail but... i remember that now <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. th- those are the ways that I get around it. When I get home from the commission meetings or going out in the community, you can bet I'm going to do one or two things. I'm going to be listening to music. I'm going to watch Ric Flair, or, you know, Hulk Hogan, Roman Reigns, someone. So that's pretty much what I do outside of the commission. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, continue. Continue doing that because all the things you've identified are so helpful um, and it's important that you continue to have those interests outside of work outside of uh your job helping other people the party you've got to make sure that you stay in touch with jordan and the things yeah. that you enjoy yeah most definitely and like i said earlier we're just beginning we're just getting started and i love the fact that i mean even even from knowing you since new leaders counselor the NLC days we talked a lot about this around that round table about how uh, I was really just compelled to, to do more to get my, to get myself into a, a good space. Right. Mm-hmm. And then to talk about it in a way to where I wasn't ashamed or, or, or anyone in the room wasn't, wasn't ashamed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have to thank you because you don't know it, but you have, you have really helped me understand over the last few years, the importance of getting involved with, um, with or, or not getting involved, but taking a more intentional approach uh, with your with, with my physical well being. So I really do appreciate you for that, and um, and I know you've helped so many other people too. So thank you, and it even just gives me this platform to run my mouth about it. It's also <laughs> good therapy. So I appreciate you. <laughs> yes, well, I'm just so um, honored that you would join. And just all of the work that you've done so far. And as you said, you're just beginning to, because you have a positive impact on your surroundings, um, 
in your neighborhood, the people you represent, and in the world. Thank you, Constance. You know, I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for thank you. This, your transparency, and I know it will be helpful for so thank many. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey to professional wellness by listening to the professional wellness session with Constance podcast. Are you following me on Instagram yet? If not, make sure you follow professional wellness session and you can also find out more information about the private practice, which is positive outlook group about the podcast and about professional wellness coaching by going to my website, www.positiveoutlookllc.com. I hope you have a wonderful day and continue being well. See you next time.